Hallelujah, God. God, you are worthy. God, you are worthy. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honor. You deserve all of our lives. We yield before you. We surrender before you. Oh, God. Our lives are in no better hands than in yours. You know far better what to do with them than we could ever. God, you deserve all the glory. Father, you've made us for yourself. You've made us for yourself. We exist for you and for your glory. We were made to enjoy you. We were made to find our pleasure in you. We are made to be satisfied by you. God, I just pray, oh God, we need you, God. We are so helpless. We are so incapable of directing our lives, leading our lives, knowing what to do, what next step to take. We're so prone to turning to the left or to the right. God, we're great at starting. We're horrible at finishing. Lord, we're frail, we're weak, we're fragile, we're vulnerable. We don't have strength in and of ourselves. If there's any rock, it's you. If there's any foundation, it's because you're under us. God, our own word doesn't hold. We need your promises. We can't live by anything else. Lord, we're prone to wander, as the hymnist said. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. So, God, we just pray, get a hold of our lives, get a hold of our minds, get a hold of our hearts. May we see you, may we taste you, may we know you, may our lives be authentic. May this church be vibrant. May this generation be alive for Jesus. May we be about something for a change. May we go forward bold and courageous in our God. May your word be our bread from heaven. Jesus, I pray that every one of us find you to be our life, our sustenance. May none of us toy around with running off of anything else but every word that proceeds forth from your mouth. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Holy Spirit, energize us. Empower us to live in ways that are unexplainable apart from a life in God's hands. Jesus, we surrender. We surrender at the outset right here. Through that worship time and that worship experience, our hearts are yielded. Lord God, nobody else can lay any sort of claim on our lives like you can. You are worthy of it all because you went further than anybody ever did or could. And so you're worthy of it all. You're not just worthy of my profession of faith. You're worthy of my life. You're worthy of my pocket. You're worthy of my emotions, my mind, my plans, my dreams, my 2020. You're worthy of my, my marriage, my kids. My expectations, our ministry, you're worthy of this entire church. You're worthy of it all. It's all in your hands. You alone are Lord. You alone are God. You're the king. 
And we gladly, not begrudgingly, we gladly surrender ourselves into your hands because we know that there's no better master than Jesus. Everything else in our life has been a cruel tyrant. Sin has been a mess. This world has been ugly. People have turned on us. Our situations came, but they also went. You're the only thing in our life that's always been there, and you'll always be there. You're worthy of it all. You're faithful. You're the faithful one. You're the faithful one. And we thank you. We bless you in this place. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Joshua. Joshua chapter 24. Go to Joshua chapter 24. What I would like to do is read two verses together with you from Joshua 24. Joshua 24, beginning in verse 14 and 15. Verse 14 and 15. God's word says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt, and serve the Lord. Verse 15, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, help me, we will serve the Lord. Happy New Year, by the way. <laughs> and I know with, with New Year's come, come New Year's resolutions. And I think as Christians, we want to make sure that we avoid the typical cliche New Year, New Year resolutions that sadly revolve around me, myself, and I. What's, what's going to happen to me? What's going to exist in 2020 for me? What am I going to get that I didn't have? We want to make our New Year's resolutions first and foremost about God. What's God going to get out of me? What's God going to get out of this church? What's God going to be about in this year, this decade? Not only Happy New Year, Happy New Decade. Amen? And Joshua, interestingly, this book of Joshua is at an interesting point in God's dealings with his people throughout this redemptive history. Joshua's older in years at this particular point in the passage. That's a little bit of an understatement. He's 110 years old. So he's had a chance to live quite a bit and see God's hand and run for God himself. And now it's about that time where he's getting ready for his departure. Sort of like Paul writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy which scholars tell us are pretty much the last thing he wrote before his life being taken and him being with the Lord. And he says, I've, I've run the race and I've finished my course. In the same way, similarly, Joshua is at that point in his life where he's saying, I've had that chance to, to run my race and I believe I've finished my, my course. But he wants to leave something with this community of for, faith before he goes. It's the same sort of concern a parent has with their children. It's not enough for them to run themselves for the Lord. 
they're equally concerned and passionate about ensuring that their kids also run for the Lord. It's the same concern that leaders of churches have for, for their people, that they're not mo- only modeling as examples as to what it means to live for God and, and to put God first. They also have a heart and a concern to want to see their people, whom they're in community with, to also run for the Lord themselves. Paul would say things like 1 Corinthians 11 and 1, follow me as I follow Christ. And so here Joshua is at this point where, based on verse 1, he says, Joshua gathered all of the tribes of Israel. Sometimes it's important to to gather everyone together, kind of like on Sunday. That's why we gather. If you wanted to know, this isn't just something we came up with. We're following what Scripture teaches. From as early as we could remember, from the inception of the early church, the Christians of that day would gather together, as, were, as was their custom, at Solomon's portico, and they would also meet from time to time throughout the week in each other's homes. But they would gather as a large assembly in Solomon's portico in order to be able to follow and devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer and to the breaking of bread, which is also something that's going to take place in 2020. We're going to begin exploring and having communion take place in our services. And so we want to be about whatever scripture is about. We want to be about whatever was going on during that time and our desires to want to honor the Lord by honoring what he wanted his church, because after all, it's his church. And so you would notice from time to time that God's people would be gathered together, which symbolizes and signifies something may be important. There's a time to just pull somebody aside and have a word for them, but there's also a time to gather people together and say, you know what, I'm not just going to go to each and every person and share this. I'm going to wait till everybody gets together. I remember growing up, my dad would uh, be, uh, from time to time, he would find his place at this spot we all knew he would be whenever something was important, and he would, from there, with this booming voice, he would call Everyone. It doesn't matter where you were. You could be in the backyard, upstairs, playing video games. You could be on the phone. You could be doodling. It doesn't matter. You would hear that voice, and you would know, oh, I don't care what I'm doing. It needs to stop because Dad's calling us. And he doesn't use that voice, and he doesn't gather us and call us like that every time. He could have just easily just come to me and shared it with me. And so we all knew, even though we didn't know what he was going to say until he said it, we knew it was important. And, and this is like that. This is an important time. And you'll notice if you're familiar with Scripture, God doesn't just do this once. He does this at different points or milestones in the people of God's life and relationship with Him. And so here, Joshua is saying it's about that time. It's kind of like New Year's time. What better time? This seems to be a right time to revisit priorities. That's what they're doing. Joshua wants to gather them together to say, you know what, this is a transition point, we're at a threshold, and it's an opportunity for you and for me to revisit what we really believe and what we're really about and what we really value. And that's why I want to share this together with you. But before he even goes into what he shares with them, there's a bit of context. And if we had time, you could could look at that in verses 1 through 13, he basically unpacks the gospel. 
as it were. Joshua, used by God, reminds these people of Israel of how God single-handedly delivered them out of Egypt and made them his people, and they no longer slaves. Well, didn't they know this? Yeah, they know this, but you could never hear it enough. But didn't they do this before? Yes, they've done this before, but it's time to do it again. You see, the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life, the A to Z of the Christian life. It's not just how I get saved. It's not just how I enter into a relationship with God initially. It's how I sustain that relationship with God. It wasn't enough for God to just deliver them at one point in time from Egypt, and then that's done, and it's over with, and now they need to move on. It's also equally important that we revisit who God is and what God has done for us. Because I don't know about you, but I'm forgetful. I'm afraid to say I I get a little forgetful. And when I get forgetful, that's when I get in trouble. That's when I get in a whole lot of trouble. In fact, a lot of my mess and a lot of my shortcomings is because I'm not remembering at that moment who I am and whose I am and what he did for me. And as a result of that, Anything is possible with my life, and it's not good. And Joshua loves this community. He loves these people, and he cares enough about them to remind them of of the gospel pathway. I love you, and because I do, I can't remind you enough of how good God is and how faithful he is and how capable he is of not only bringing and beginning a good work in your life, but seeing that good work brought to completion. And I want you to know that Jesus didn't just save you, he is saving you, and he will save you. The gospel isn't just about how I was saved, it's about how I'm being saved and how I will be saved. And Joshua wants to show these people, yes, historically, it happened. But that reality still needs to be true right now. And sometimes the only way I could know is when someone like this poses the question and draws the line in the sand and causes me to have to really take some good self-introspection and a good hard look at myself and weigh my priorities to be able to know at the end of the day, am I just saying in theory that I believe this stuff or does my life align with it? And this is their opportunity. This is their opportunity. And he's doing it not because he hates them, not because he wants them to feel bad, but because he loves them enough. He loves them enough. You see, it may have taken one day to deliver the Israelite out of Egypt physically, but it was going to take an entire lifetime to deliver the Egypt out of the Israelite. It may have been one night and one event that God used to single-handedly, physically and geographically, remove the people of God out of Egypt. But it was going to take an entire lifetime to get Egypt out of the Israelite. It may have been one event, one conference, one retreat, one prayer meeting, one person who loved you enough to sit down with you and share you, with you the gospel, one response on your part that resulted in your justification but you are now realizing that it's taking an uh, an entire lifetime 
to deal with all sorts of stuff going on in your life that you thought when you came to Christ would be behind you. But there you are, still dealing with a lot of stuff as a Christian. Much of Egypt could still be in us, though we belong to God. And Joshua knew that. And that's why Joshua is bringing them to this point. You see, so many of us, our confidence is in the fact that, well, I got in the car and I made it to the church. I'm good. And our security is in the fact that we made it to a building. Our security is in the fact that I'm serving. I'm involved in some way. I've got a title. I got parents that are faithful. I own a Bible. I I podcast. I listen to this. I got a good book. But our confidence and our security isn't in Christ. And then there are many of us who are thinking, why is it that I am still not experiencing the true joy that's only found in Christ? And in God, why, why do I feel like Christianity is just like some religion? Just something I got in addition to everything else I got? I thought it wasn't supposed to be like this. And Joshua knows he's, he's got people like that. And so... Because he loves them, he wants to put a finger on that area so that the life that they wanted is the one that they have. And I think this is the time for us to really take a good hard look at what Joshua has to say. He opens up and he says, now, therefore. Anytime you see the word therefore, you want to ask yourself, what is it there for? It's there for the reason that we just saw. He just shared with them everything God did for them out of love for them. He saved them. He rescued them. He redeemed them. God was good. Therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness. You see, one of the initial responses that God gets from a life that now belongs to Him is a healthy fear of Him. I know there's a lot of uncomfortableness when it comes to fearing God because we always have been prone to see it negatively, but this isn't the fear of the backhand of God. Rather, when the Bible talks about fear of God as it relates to the people of God, a Christian, a child of God, it's talking about this, a healthy respect for God, a reverence for God. Better yet, it's... it's, It's the person who desires to please God above all things. That's a person who fears God. It's the person who cares an awful lot about what God thinks about. It's the man or woman who who says, does this please the Lord or not? That's a person who fears God. You see, the man or woman who fears God is the person who doesn't need to wait for someone's eyes to be on them before they start caring about what the right thing is to do. God's enough. The fact that he's present, albeit invisibly by his spirit, is enough. Because I'm a spiritual person now. I don't need physical people around me to start behaving myself. God's enough. That's a spiritual person who's sensitive to the presence of God. And Joshua's concerned that they may have forgotten a little bit about this. And that it takes booming voices and lightning and thunder and, and crazy stuff to happen or, or something physical or maybe even Joshua himself around in order for them not to 
do that or to behave themselves. And he says, no, no, no. If you're alone in Manhattan, you could be at Clyde Warren Park all by yourself. You could be strumming the streets of downtown Dallas. And you should still be the way you would be if a hundred eyes that you cared about were on you. That's what Joshua wanted for every single one of them. That's what I want, is to be a man or to be a woman who fears the Lord. After all, that's what the gospel came to produce. Religion needs mom's eyes on me, dad's eyes, pastor around. Religion needs every person streaming everybody's social media feed and stories and making sure that their, that their witness out there is consistent with their profession at, at church. It's like, uh, I ain't doing all that. I ain't got time for all that. I'm not going to be policing my members, my congregation in that way. No, God's enough. God's enough. What they need, if that's our problem, what that person or what any person needs is the gospel. More of me is not going to help the situation or anybody else. We don't need helicopter moms and dads. Yeah, that may put parents' heart to rest to their stress and detriment. But at the end of the day, what kind of child are you really producing? A religious kid that's going to backfire on you at some point in time because you could only hold that up for so long. But if they got the gospel, if they got a hold of who God is, if the eyes of their hearts are open, if they now see, if they know who their God is, if they belong to him, it doesn't matter whether you're around or not. It doesn't matter whether their college is in the same town as the parents or if their college is 100 miles away. They're going to be who they are no matter what. That's what the gospel produces. Everything else is cultural Christianity. It's just religion where I got to make sure my spouse is around so I could start acting in fidelity and faithfulness. No, you should be able to be that person of integrity whether he or she is in your presence or not. And I believe that's what God wants to produce among this next generation of young men and women who fear their God. That's what I want to see is pathway, that we be a church that offers something different from everything else this world is seeing with the church and with Christianity. Is, is, it's, just, it's just a bunch of stuff that is not helping anyone at the end of the day. And what does Joshua say? Not only fear the Lord, but he says with two things, sincerity, which could also be honesty or vulnerableness, vulnerability. And faithfulness. Another way of translating faithfulness would be integrity. So one of the two qualities that should exist in me when I belong to God and I walk with God as a man is, is I should be an honest person and I should be a man of integrity. That should be not only there, but it should be increasingly cultivated in my life. Honesty and integrity. When you don't have that, it really hinders the move of the spirit in a community. It really hampers the morale, the spiritual morale of the people. Because what ends up happening is somebody's all in and then they look around and they notice that there are other people who are backpedaling and they got one foot in and one foot out and it's like, why am I doing this if he or she or they are just, 
And they're considered just as much a part of this thing. But what happens is even the flip side works. When I'm all in and my brother and my sister's all in as well, it has a way of feeding on itself. It's contagious either way. And God is saying, look, he cares enough about this community. That's why he gathered them. Because what he would have to say to one would equally be applicable to the other. And that even if he succeeded with one, if he pulled them aside, what happens if it's not true of the other? It kills the community. It hinders the community. It keeps them from being. This isn't a one-man show. This is, a, this is about all of us. We've got to all be on one page. As one man, Ephesians 4 says, he's building us up as one man until we all arrive to the unity of the full stature and the measure of this one man, Jesus Christ. And so that's why it's important that we be thinking about these things as we're going forward is, are we fearing God in this sort of, in this sort of way? Because when I'm giving messages off like, I'm the real deal, but then when other, all these other aspects of my life are looked at, it's like, whoa, whoa confused, whoo, what was that? It's like, I thought I saw her on, I thought I saw him on Sunday. Isn't that the same person that's also... And it's like, but I, I'm, they're here. What, it's dishonest. It's not honest. I'm being dishonest. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Paul, writing to the church in Rome, in Romans 14, when they were struggling over foods and meats and so forth, it's like, how come I can't? My conscience allows me. I'm good. It's like, I don't know what their problem is. My conscience ain't sensitive. I'm a Gentile. I didn't, I didn't grow up that way. And then the Jews are like, no, no, you don't do that. You do that. You're showing that you're not close to God. And they were going back and forth. Paul, what, what say you? Go on ahead. Take your pick. Take your side. He's like, I ain't taking no sides. Do not destroy your brother for whom Christ died. That was his answer. He didn't say one was right or one was wrong. Don't give off a Christianity that communicates in the mind of your fellow brother or sister dishonest. You style yourself as sold out for Jesus and you belong to him and, and this and that. And then everything else about your life is communicating otherwise. And so Joshua says here, fearing God means you communicate honesty. That was Jesus' problem with the Pharisees in Matthew 23. These men, they draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's not a man that fears God. They draw near to me with their lips. They know how to say all the right things. And I could see they're known by even the community as the people who would be the exemplars of the faith. Everybody looks up to them. Look at them with their beard and their gowns and their robes and, and how they recite scripture and, and stand up and pray aloud through these vain repetitions. They may draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And so Joshua says, part of fearing God is this, this, this honesty with, with sincerity and faithfulness, integrity. Integrity, it comes from that math word. You remember that, right? And is it third grade, fourth grade? Integers, right? Integers are what? Whole numbers, exactly, right? Some of y'all got stressed out for just a second there. Oh, don't. <laughs> trauma. I just, I just <laughs> reawakened some trauma. <laughs> uh, integers, whole numbers, whole numbers, not, not fractions. So I'm to be a whole person, which means... No matter which side of me you see, no matter whether you get the Tuesday neb, 
the Friday neb, Saturday night, 9 p.m. neb. It doesn't matter. Sunday morning, it should be the same person. Integrity, integer, whole. You don't need to wait to find me on a particular day of the week to find me in that way. I should be that way all the time. That's what the gospel produces. Everything else, everything else is, is from religion. And this is what God came to accomplish. When Jesus came, when he died, he achieved this kind of life. So if someone says, I have that life, you're saying, that's the life you have. Any other life may be a life, but it's not the life that he offers. It's not the life that he offers. The life he offers is a life that enables me to fear God, not in my own strength, in the strength that he provided. And after all, he achieved that on the cross. It enables me to fear God with sincerity and with faithfulness, with integrity, with integrity, with integrity. Joshua says, he pleads with them at this point, and you probably see this here. He says, put away. He says, put away all the gods. But notice it's lowercase g. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. So one of the ways in which I'm supposed to experience this life that God has for me, that God has for all of us as, as a church, is I can't say, yeah, yeah, to everything we just looked at so far, but keep my gods. Let me unpack it a little bit for you if I could. You see, what, what had happened was, normally we, <laughs> I actually meant that. <laughs> what had happened was, what had happened was, in Israel's history, even though, and I alluded to this a little bit, even though that they had come out of Egypt, they had smuggled a lot of the false gods that they had learned to become acquainted with while they were in Egypt. I mean, after all, they were in there, what, 430 years? You're going to become acquainted with some gods. And so they were buttoned up with all of the neighboring nations and pagans and so forth. It's just like us. You spend a lot of time at school and in the neighborhood, away from your parents and so forth, always on, on devices and so forth, and you're away from the church, you're away from the word, you're away from the faith, it's going to have an influence on you. We call it nature and nurture. You're going to get nurtured, except in just a whole other direction. The world's going to nurture you. And that's what happened. They got nurtured, and here they are. Even though they belong to God, they still brought a lot of stuff that they learned, got acquainted with, obtained while they were in Egypt. Along the way, even though they became their own people and they had their own location, they had neighboring nations that worshiped different gods. And from time to time, they would be able to be exposed to each other and acquainted with each other, which is why they, he was, you would always see in the Old Testament a discouragement. They would constantly say, do not take for yourselves the wives of the other nations. And people often ask, does the Bible encourage interracial dating? Yes. It's not interracial dating. It's, it's interfaith dating. Marriage. So it's not so much the fact that they represent a different ethnicity as it is they represent a different religion, a different faith, a different God. Do not be unequally yoked, 2 Corinthians 6.14. And so that was always God's concern. But they would violate it because they get curious. Come on, we know what that's like, right? Even though we're Christians, we get curious. And our curiosity has a way of leading us places and to people and to doing things. We're no different. Amen? Well, you don't have to say amen to that, but um, 
That was wrong. <laughs> I try to avoid those little fillers. So here we have a situation where Joshua knows, I know, I know, I know y'all with God. I know we're together. I know we're this community of faith, but I also know that y'all still got some stuff in y'all tent. If I were to walk in there, I'd see some God to this and, and an idol to this and so forth. And he says, look, if we're going to be anything for God going forward, we can't try to go forward and still have our gods with us. Y'all got to do what you want to do. I'm not looking. Just go. He doesn't go into every tent. He just says, I know what's going on. So go on ahead and be honest with yourself and look, what is it in your life that constitutes God, lowercase g? Y'all need to put that away if you want to see God show up in your life. You can't expect to say, how come God's not blessing me? How come I don't see his hand? How come I don't feel like a victorious Christian when I still got my gods, is what Joshua is saying to them. Or, to borrow the language of Jesus in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve, help me, two masters. Because you're either going to love the one and you're going to hate the other, or you're going to highly regard the one and despise the other. You cannot serve two masters. And so Joshua, out of love for them, he shares with them this for their consideration so that they know if this is done, they're going to see God move. How many people want to see God move in this day and age? Not just in your life, but among your generation. You know you got people in your life you love, you care about. You're still waiting on seeing stuff happen. God's going to do it. God wants to do it. But notice, we've got to put away the gods. You see, an idol is, <laughs> we, 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 we frown upon people in certain parts of the world, right? It's like, that ain't never going to happen here. We, we don't have wooden objects. We don't do incense. We don't bow down. We don't do any of that stuff. We got our own idols. They just may not look like that. That's all. We got large stadiums, and we got pig skin, and we got people who take their shirts off and paint themselves and go, do all sorts of stuff for human beings who are throwing a ball around or on a court. We got all sorts of gods. We got living rooms that are perfectly designed with furniture that all always, interestingly, face one direction, and it's about 70 to 80 inches wide. And we consume ourselves with them. We got different kind of idols. An idol doesn't even have to be a sinful thing in and of itself. It could be perfectly fine. It's the kind of priority we give it. It's the place we give it. And that's my point. The definition of an idol is a substitute. An idol is anything that I love more than I love Jesus is an idol. My marriage could be an idol. My spouse could be an idol. My children could be an idol. My desire to want to be married could be an idol. My job, my career could be an idol. It doesn't matter what it is. Anything that I love more than I love Jesus can be an idol. My dreams, my expectations, my New Year's resolutions could be a God that needs to be put away. If, remember, anything that I love more than I love Jesus, that's an idol. And Joshua, because he loves them enough, he says, look, put away your gods. They never live for you. They never died for you. Isaiah said they don't even have mouths. They don't even speak. 
They don't even see. If you needed them at, at a certain point to come through for you, it would never work. They're just these inanimate objects. When you got the living God in your presence, when you got the one who gave everything for you, and now we're New Testament Christians. We believe in the full gospel. Christ has already come. We've already seen what God has accomplished for us. And so Joshua says here, you got to put away those gods. What gods do we have? What gods do you have? What is it in my life or in your life that's rivaling God's desire to have that place in my life? Because God's saying, I don't want rivals. No rivals. Going forward in 2020, if you want to see me show up and show out in your life, I can't be having rivals. It's got to be all me. And Joshua is at this point in their history where he's giving them an opportunity all over again to do what? Well, let's look at the passage, verse 15, to choose. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord... (laughs) I'll explain in just a second. If it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. We often hear that verse, don't we, in isolation. One little Bible tip for y'all. Little little tip in Bible study. Anytime you want to make sense out of a verse, make sure you understand that verse in light of its context. One of the most dangerous ways to try to make sense out of a verse is in isolation of everything that came before it and after it. What helps us to be able to understand what God's intention is, is by understanding the context in which it is. And oftentimes when we hear, choose, I've said it, choose this day whom you serve, it's it's taken positively, isn't it? Which which it could be. Joshua wants it to be. But in this context where it's first found, that phrase, where we get it from, we see it on Instagram quotes, choose you this day whom you serve, he's actually saying, choose which of your false gods you're going to serve. Notice he says here, verse 15, choose this day whom you'll serve, whether the gods your father served in the region. I'll help you, he's saying. I'll help you. Let me get you started. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. Choose between those two false gods, that one or that one whom you're going to serve. But as for, as for me and, and my house, We're going to serve, all caps, the Lord. You see? He says, look, if you've decided, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, if you're like that man in Matthew 25 with the one talent that buried it, only for the master to finally return and give an account, get an account for what these men did with their talents, and he's, why you bury it? How come you didn't do anything with it? I thought you were evil. I thought you were a cruel master. And so I buried it. Reaping where you don't sow. And he said, it would have been better had you given it somewhere to be invested. But now, even what you have is going to be taken away from you. See, Joshua is saying, look, I'm going to leave it up to you. But if you're somehow or another going to conclude that this God is evil and therefore not deserving of your worship, not deserving of you looking carefully at your life and seeing what needs to be rooted out and rooting it out, 
in order for him to take priority in your life, then go on ahead and choose this day whom you're going to serve. Go on ahead and pick your God from the millions of gods out there. Is it going to be women, men, clubs, alcohol, drugs? What is it going to be? What, which one of those gods out there do you want to serve? Go on ahead and choose this day. In other words, Joshua is bold enough to say it's kind of like the father with the prodigal son. I'm sure it hurt him to have to allow his own son to make the decision that, praise God, that he finally came around, but to have to be at that point in his child's life. Nothing about that father said, says to us that makes sense why that kid wanted to leave. Lousy dad. No, because that father is supposed to be a picture of who? Our heavenly father. So it wouldn't work. It's saying that this kid, even with all that he had to be able to have a godly life, still chose to go off to the far country and squander his father's inheritance. And Joshua is saying, you know God has been good to you. You know you should still be a slave right now. You know you should still be in bondage right now. Some of you have forgotten. Some of you have lost sight of who you once were, where you used to be. The fact that you shouldn't have even made it to 2020. Some of you know it came this close. And you could have been outside of Christ. But God, in his mercy, rescued you from your foolishness. Saved you out of your plight saw you headed in a, in, a, in a path of destruction, nothing but peril, but loved you enough to not give up on you. And here you are today. And if you're going to steal in light of all of that, consider it evil in your eyes to serve the Lord and go on ahead. Choose. Which one of the gods? She's better than Jesus. He's better than Jesus. That bottle is better than Jesus. How much are they paying you there? Oh, it's better than Jesus. That life, travel, what is it? What idol is it? Oh, it's better than Jesus. Choose you, he says. He's saying this not because he loves them. Maybe you've had a parent like this who loved you enough. Maybe you've had to do this for somebody where in all of your efforts to help your boy, to help your girl out of their addiction, out of just destroying themselves. You're like, come on, I keep showing up. Every part of town to rescue you. And you arrive at that point where you say, you know what? I'm beginning to think the most loving thing for me to do is what? You want to go with him? Then go. But you're saying that not because you actually want that to happen, but you almost are prepared to believe that nothing coming out of your mouth and all of your example is working, and so you're beginning to imagine, you know what? I think this person just needs to taste the rocks. I think they just need to chew on them for, for themselves. There are only a couple of ways you could learn through the mistakes of others or through your own. And sadly, in some people's cases, it has to be through their own. And Joshua is saying, look, is that what you want to do? Do you really? Because some people think, oh, I'll never really know about God or his grace or his goodness unless I waste my life and make a mess of it. No, no, no. It's enough that we got the testimonies that we got. Just listen to that and praise God for it and learn something. You don't have to make a train wreck of your own life, 
before you could begin to find out who God is and how worthy it is of your life, you can know now. You can know with what you already got in your own track record with him. And Joshua says, look, I can't make a decision for you, but I'm going to tell you this. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. You see, can you say that today? We're coming to a close. But I really want you to lean in here. Can you honestly say, as for me and my house, you say, I'm single. Or I ain't got no family. I ain't got no house. No, no, look. Your marriage, your future marriage, your future family life and kids will only be what you make your life right now. You are the seed of whatever will be. Whatever desires you have envisioned about what kind of family you want, it begins with you. It begins with, that's why he says, as for me and my house, it begins with you. You want to see a good marriage? You want to see a marriage that sees beyond five years, 20, 50, 60? It's, it has everything to do with what you're doing right now in your singlehood. There's nothing about putting a ring on and exchanging vows that's going to bring about a miracle. There's nothing about bringing a couple of kids into this world that's going to change you. If anything is going to happen, Joshua is saying, it needs to happen now. Because what's going to happen? Anybody else who ends up becoming a part of you is going to reap the benefits of what God started in your life. God wants to start something today. Paul says, I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will see that good work to completion. God may have got you in your singlehood, but guess what? He's going to continue to be with you as soon as you find someone. And then as soon as you get married and you may have kids, he's bringing that good work that he started when you were all alone and he found you. Guess what? He's allowing you to reap the fruit of all of that investment, that faithfulness, that integrity, that sincerity of heart, that pursuit of him, that fear of him. You are the culmination of the small decisions that you make in your life. Be not deceived. Galatians 6 and 10. God is not mocked. Whatsoever you sow, that shall you also reap. It's seed time harvest principles. If I'm sowing to the flesh, I'm going to reap of the flesh. But if I'm sowing to the Spirit, I'm going to reap of the Spirit. And so you don't even need to be paranoid and worried. What is she going to be like? What is he going to be? What is our marriage going to be like? What are the kids going to be like? What would it be like if I moved out of my parents' house and I'm on my own? The reason why we're paranoid is because we're not taking responsibility for our life today. But if I'm doing what I need to be doing right now, I know I'm going to take that with me in the next season and the next season of my life. It's only going to get better and better and better and better because the person I am is going to also determine who I have eyes for and who I want to build something with and who I want to bring children into this world with and what I ultimately turn out to be. So where are you at? Where are we at, Pathway? Is it going to be so for us as a church? Where as for you, as for me, as for us, we're going to serve the Lord? Because that's what God wants. But notice, this has got to be a decision that each of us makes. Each of us makes. And we're about to do it right now. 
I can't do this for you. A parent can't do this for their kid. Another member can't do it for another member. I've got to look at my life. My life is enough for me to be concerned about another. I, I need to look at myself. I need to see what is going on in my life. Where am I at? Am I deceiving myself? Am I blind to myself? Do I need to be set straight? Do I need to wake up? Do I need to see something? Am I not privy to what God is doing? Am I valuing the right things? Is he my priority? Is Christ my treasure? And so I want you to take this time right now before we close. Perhaps if it doesn't mean too much to you, if we could stand together. Let's just take some time right now, these next 30 seconds. These next 30 seconds to a minute. I just want to give you this time. Hopefully you've taken it already and you've been doing this right where you are. But just take this time. God, help me to be an honest man. Help me to be an honest woman. I want to be real. I want to make sure that what people see is what they really are getting. I want to be the real deal. I don't want people finding me on one day one way and finding me on a Sunday a whole nother way. I want to be the kind of person, no matter what day of the week you catch me, whether you catch me live or on social media or on any of my platforms, I am who I am. God can do that. That's a prayer that God will answer because that's in accordance with his will. Paul said in Philippians 1 and 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you with my own eyes or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Notice Paul said, it shouldn't matter whether I show up or not. It should still be true of you. God can do that right now. But where's your heart at? The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are blameless toward him, wholehearted, sincere toward him. That's what God's present everywhere. Of course, God exists everywhere. He's omnipresent, but he's not present everywhere in another sense. He's only present in those. That's his manifest presence is only where he sees what he's looking for. And what he's looking for is a heart that's blameless toward him. Second Chronicles 16.9. A heart that's blameless toward him. God, I pray you do this right now. Spirit of God, we cry out to you. Do the impossible. Where I'm incapable, show yourself. Show yourself out in my life for your glory. I want to see you on display. God, we want to make much of you through our lives. Burn what's got to be burned. Any appetite that's not aligned with you, starve it in Jesus' name and awaken whole new appetites, whole new hungers for you, oh God, and for the things of God. It's 2020. I can't afford to live off of previous years with you. I've got to have a fresh walk, a fresh faith, a fresh pursuit of Jesus. And therefore, just like the people of Israel had to go every day to receive manna from heaven, they couldn't store up and start eating off of yesterday's manna because God made it spoil. God's making some of your securities spoil right now. God's making some of your confidences spoil right now. It's not even good for the taste. 
you taste it and you recognize this ain't this can't go down exactly because he loves you he wants you to come to him jesus told the woman if you knew who was asking you for water you would have asked me you would have asked him god give us that living water give us that well that never runs dry we can't settle for less do this we pray thank you for this church Thank you for your love. Thank you for your discipline. Thank you for your grace, which comes to us in so many different ways. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for telling us stuff nobody else would tell us. Thank you for being toward us. Nobody else will be toward us. God, we celebrate your grace and your goodness. And we believe in you concerning what you have in store for our lives. Father, I pray right now as we're concluding this time of our service, and we're soon to go our separate ways. I ask for you to be with your people. Jesus, you promised never to leave us nor forsake us. Go before your people. Be the God of all comfort. Encourage their hearts. Help them to stand tall for you and to walk with you knowing that they have all that they're going to be in need of because you're in their life. They have nothing to fear. They can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're present in their life and that you're not going anywhere. And that no matter what looks tall and daunting and intimidating in their life, you're bigger. You're bigger. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine who defies the armies of the living God? You're bigger. You're greater. Give us eyes to see, I pray. Thank you for your people. Thank you. And now may the love of our God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the communion of his Holy Spirit be with you you all. Amen. God bless you. Let's give the Lord a hand. God bless you. Please meet and greet.